Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Vegan Proteins, Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 18th episode. Hey, everybody. Hope, hope you've been enjoying the summer. It's been pretty seasonable out here. Warm whatnot we haven't really gotten outdoors too much though lately but we were able to take a trip out to new york city this past weekend and for good reason my my sister just got married that was really nice actually so outside of that i i don't think there's been too much going on well i mean we are still getting closer to our next competition and you know, Danny can probably fill you in a little more on that since it's getting more intense for her, whereas I'm going to be competing in, in uh, physique, but I'm not dieting down any hard. I'm actually reverse dieting right now. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm feeling it, guys. Let me tell you, I'm really, really tired. I'm, my energy is very, very low, but 17 days, 17 more days, and I can do anything for 17 days, so just got to keep on keeping on and well as we're coming into the final couple weeks into the show you know this is actually what we're going to be talking about today a lot of people requested that we do an episode about what goes on leading up to a show and into a show and immediately after a show because competing in you know bikini figure physique or bodybuilding a lot of people have no idea what actually happens and there's a lot that goes into it in those final in those final days and on the show day itself so and this is a perfect time for me to talk about it cuz I'm just about to go through it again hooray <laughs> <laughs> as if going through it isn't bad enough let's talk about it yeah, well it's a good time so i won't forget anything that's for sure and it's still pretty fresh for me I- like yourself, I'm still competing, so I, I don't mind talking about it either. So everybody's prep for a competition is going to be a little bit different, where some people only need to diet for eight weeks, some people need to diet for 20 weeks, some people diet for even longer than that. Um, so everyone's is going to be a little bit different in that respect. But the final week and a half or so is pretty intense because I mean through your entire prep your diet and your exercise is intensifying little by little by little right up until the end and then there is the final week before the show or it's usually more like 10 days ish or so but it's still called peak week and that is a week where you manipulate several factors in order to bring your absolute best conditioning for that one day and even that couple of hours that you're at the competition getting judged and it's it's so taxing on your body and you don't even realize it as you're going through it because at this point you've put your body through the ringer like Danny said anywhere from as few as four to eight weeks to as many as 20 plus weeks if you're getting ready for a show in just four weeks I have some choice words for you (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anybody who gets ready for a show in four weeks that isn't like a genetic mutant Regardless, the point is you've been contest prepping, you know, your energy's in the shitter, your body is being taxed, your mind is being constantly challenged. You've been overreaching from every freaking angle. So basically, the peak week at this point 
It's the final push. Yeah, and you're just going through the motions. Just focus and, and going with the flow. But it's still very, very hard on your body. Yeah, so along with it being hard on your body, before we get into what peak week actually entails, in the week leading up to the competition, you have to make sure that your registration with the show is taken care of, that your membership to whatever organization is putting on the show, like OCB, um, INBF, NANBF, whatever organization is putting on the show, you need to be re- have a membership with them, register with the show, schedule your polygraph test, and schedule whatever tanning, hair, makeup, nails, whatever appointments you have to have for that day. Make sure your suit fits you perfectly. Like all of this stuff needs to be happening as you go into peak week. So, so you take a person who is already basically at the end of their rope. <laughs> and by the time you hit peak week, it is perfectly common to oscillate wildly between thinking like, hell yeah, I look ready for this show, to oh my god, I can't do this, there's no way I'm going to be ready, I'm going to embarrass myself so much. And I mean, those two thoughts can happen within 10 minutes of each other. And if you don't cry at least once <laughs> in the week and a half leading up to a show, men and women, all right, this is this does not exclude men here. I don't cry. He's lying. <laughs> and I'm just saying that it's very, very stressful. So during peak week, first of all, peak week is where a lot of people screw up their entire prep because there's a lot of myths about peak week and what you actually can do to get your body to peak, most of which have been perpetuated by drug-enhanced athletes, so the non-natural bodybuilders. A lot of times they do need to sort of jump through a lot of hoops with diuretics and things like that because whatever drugs it is that they're taking affect their bodies differently than natural athletes who are not dealing with all of those factors. And when they take these measures, it's actually helping them. Yeah, for them, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about it. There are some people that are taking more than I can even pronounce. So everybody's procedure is going to be different. But for natural athletes, there are still some factors that you can manipulate gently to enhance your physique for show day. But you have to be ready before peak week. If you couldn't step on stage before peak week and put on a respectable showing, not the best showing of your life, but if you couldn't show up on stage that day and step on stage and look pretty good, peak week isn't going to do anything for you. You're just not ready. Yeah, as is. Remember that before you even start your peak week. If you can't picture yourself in posing trunks or your bikini or whatever your suit is, if you can't picture yourself being on stage without going through peak week at all, then then you basically have no business getting on stage and doing peak week or at least accept where you are and know that it's not going to change that much. Yeah, I mean, if you're not ready by the time peak week rolls around, better you're, you're better off to just keep doing what you're doing because then you at least have one more week to make progress. You know, I'd rather see somebody continue dieting and doing their cardio and stuff like that rather than try to manipulate water and sodium and carbohydrates and all that stuff to look better on stage it's just not going to work because you're not lean enough or you're going to be really disappointed you know and you're going to blame the process 
you know, you can't, everyone has these expectations. It's like the magic pill expectation. I'm going to go through peak week and I'm going to change so much. And then afterwards, they're when like, I cut well, the water, bro. Yeah. When I cut the water, don't worry. This is just water. It's yeah, go. exactly. And then afterwards, <laughs> it's like, no, it's not water. You just didn't have the body composition that you wanted to have. It had nothing to do with your peak week protocol. If anything, you probably wound up hurting more than helping yourself because you tried to, to do things too differently. So I guess the point is that peak week isn't magic by any stretch of the imagination, but it can be helpful. It can just bring out the finer details of your physique if you do it properly. And a lot of this is going to be trial and error, and it's going to vary wildly from person to person. So don't take this as gospel at all, because this is just this is just how we do it, and I have clients that do it this way, and then I have some that I have to do a little bit differently, yada, yada, yada. So, But in general, you start off peak week by depleting. And what that means is you lower your carbs... So you have to consider that your carbs are probably already lower than they, I mean, they're definitely lower than they normally are. They're probably low enough so that you're pretty cranky. And then you take that and then you slash it down another 30% for anywhere from three to five days. While still training just as hard. While still training just as hard. And the purpose of this is to burn through all of your glycogen stores in your body. And the reason for this is that it's going to make you very sensitive to carbohydrates when you increase them again, when you load up. So there's nothing wonderful about cutting carbs and depleting your glycogen. Actually, you look pretty shitty by the end of those five days because you're flat as a pancake. Like you're maybe, maybe you lean out like a fraction more, but more than anything, what you're losing is the glycogen in your muscles and in particularly in any other place that you have glycogen. And your muscles that were maybe once round and full, now they're like flat and stringy. And you usually look kind of soft too. So it's not a good look, but this is part of the process. Now just remember, your glycogen is inside of your muscles and it's literally stored energy. And when you deplete, you know, a lot of people think that if they can deplete that, that they'll get that shredded bone dry look. But I mean, like Danny said, that flat as a pancake look is what winds up happening because you're literally pulling the stored energy by depleting out of your muscles and there's just nothing left there. So you just look stringy and there's really nothing to present. Also, this is definitely physically the hardest part of peak week or these depletion days because your food, which is already low to begin with, gets dropped your training has to stay just as intense because you're actively working to deplete those stores. Uh, at this point, you're basically running on pure adrenaline <laughs> because you don't have it. You just don't have it. You got to dig deeper than what energy you have for food in your stomach and find, find something to keep you going because those days are hard. I mean, even the adrenaline eventually disappears and there's like nothing you can do to have anymore. And at that point, it's basically you know, all guts mm -hmm. and just pushing mentally. But after that, so then you're in about five, five-ish days out. Then, then you start to, this is when we choose to carb up. And a lot of people carb up later in the week. So the show day is usually on Saturday. A lot of people car start carbing up on Friday 
and then into Saturday. And this is to fill those muscles back out now that they're super sensitive because they haven't seen very many carbs in quite a while. So then they fill up and look nice and full and round again and tight and hard and that's what you want. But this is a very delicate balance and one of three things can happen. You can hit the nail on the head the first try, which I'm sure you can imagine that's rare, or you can car not carb up enough and then you still look really flat, or you can over carb up and then you just look soft and fluffy and watery and that's not a good look either. So by carbing up earlier in the week, usually around Tuesday, we are able to check ourselves the next day and then either pull back or add more if we need to throughout the rest of the week to maintain and improve upon that carbed up look. Now, when we say carbed up, a lot of people, especially guys, <laughs> girls are usually more afraid to carb up and the guys are usually the ones carbing their faces off with a thousand grams of carbs three days before your show. To me, that sounds terrifying just because you don't know how your body, your body has been dieting for so long, you don't know how it's gonna react to that. So when I say carb up, I mean about twice the amount of carbs that you've been eating on your diet previously. And it's still beneficial to carb up early, but you have to be mindful of just how many carbs you're, you're adding in to during the front loading phase because you can overdo it yeah all of these manipulations are really nothing extreme a lot of people get really really extreme with their peak weeks and then they don't know why they look like shit on show day and it's like well you just threw a thousand different factors at it that you didn't know how it was going to react so of course you didn't look your best whereas if you do these gentle manipulations you know if you're ready you're ready you're going to be ready and these are just going to fine-tune that look for you but if you try to do something crazy at the end, you can probably just end up looking like crap, which leads me to water and sodium, which is possibly the most manipulated factors in peak week, period, across the board. Everybody always wants to know, how do you do your water? How do you do your sodium? What do you do with your sodium and water? And uh, we don't do anything to it, <laughs> actually. I've done the shows dehydrated, and I've done the shows not dehydrated, and I'm going I'm going hydrated all the way here. I guess the question over here, then, is why is dehydrating so popular within bodybuilding circles for a peak week? So you have intracellular water. And that is the water inside of your muscle. That's good. That makes the muscle look full and hard. And then you have extracellular or subcutaneous water, which is the water under the skin outside of the muscle that makes you look, well, watery, jiggly. So when people cut water, what they're trying to do is get rid of that subcutaneous water. People employ all different kinds of tricks to get the water under their skin out of their body from uh, cutting sodium completely, loading sodium, then cutting sodium, loading water, then cutting water. Diuretics. Diuretics from dandelion, dandelion root. root to the scary shit like Lasix. I mean, there are so many different ways people can get water out of their body. And as you can imagine, you know, depending on where you fall upon the spectrum, it can be dangerous. You know, you take a body that's already pretty depleted and exhausted and then suck all the water out of it and... Like your kidneys can get pretty messed up and people, sometimes you get cramps on stage. Sometimes people pass out on stage. And the real ironic thing about it is that your body regulates its 
fluid balance from intracellular to extracellular water minute to minute. The ratio of water is always 70-30, 70% in the muscle, 30% outside of the muscle. So while, yes, you can lose that subcutaneous water, you're going to be losing some of that intracellular water as well in the exact same balance. Look at those numbers. It's it's not worth the trade-off to try to get rid of 30% of your extracellular water while risking losing a, a larger portion of the other 70%, leaving you looking flat. I don't want to say that nobody should ever cut water a little bit because I do work with clients, some of whom respond really well to cutting water. And they're usually women and they're usually either have hormonal issues or they're taking some sort of hormonal birth control or something along those lines. Because estrogen, excess estrogen especially, can make you retain water more than normal. So in those cases, sometimes we do gently water load at the beginning of the week, which is drinking like two gallons of water a day, and then cut it down in the last two days. So then you just pee out you pee out a lot of it, and it can just make them look a little bit tighter. Cut it down to how much from the two gallons, Danny? Like a half a gallon so in going, a day. So, I mean, that's still a fair amount of water for most people. Right. Whereas you, you can see more extreme examples where individuals are loading anywhere from three to four gallons. And then cutting it out two days before to nothing. And on top of cutting it down to nothing, using over-the-counter herbal diuretics uh, to drugs to everything in between. Which I should say herbal diuretics are legal in natural bodybuilding. So dandelion root, um, senna, things like that. Those are legal in natural bodybuilding. The prescription diuretics are not. So that is what we do. We just keep our water constant. We do a gentle sodium loading and then a gentle sodium depleting. And (laughs) if you guys knew how much sodium Giacomo and I eat, you would probably be horrified. <laughs> I like food with my salt once in a while. Yeah, we eat a lot of sodium, and on show day, we're eating a lot of sodium. So there's nothing about sodium, similarly to water, your body regulates how much of it is in your body. Um, you're actually in more danger if you're not eating enough sodium because you can't just make it out of nothing. But if you're eating quote-unquote excess sodium and you have healthy kidney and liver like you're just going to pee it out so it's not a big deal unless you already have serious blood pressure issue and think about it you've been doing the same thing day in and day out not just training but also your your meal programming to throw a curveball like that at the end and then go on stage and perform and expect to perform well i mean just Think about it. You're, it's not worth the risk to, to possibly look marginally better and more likely than not risk looking way worse. Well, the thing with sodium and water, for that matter, is you need them both to get a pump. So we'll get to that later, but I'm sure many of you can imagine that you pump up before you go on stage. If you don't have sodium and water in your system, you're not going to get that pump, that full of blood feeling in your muscles that rounds them out and makes them look full. So cutting sodium out and water out the day before a show or a couple days before the show, I mean, you can just imagine how if you don't have those, you're going to look like shriveled and flat and maybe lean. Sure, you'll look lean, I guess, but you won't look very muscular. And this is a muscle show. 
I've I've been there myself. My very first show when I went to go flex my my quad, it it literally cramped up on me, and I was taking potassium pills. But I was just so dehydrated from the you know going through the the water manipulation that I literally could not present myself properly. And what good is that? It doesn't matter what you look like, you know, if you just can't present it. So that's really what happens with the food in peak week. Food and water. We keep water the same. We do pretty low carb for the first handful of days, carb up midweek, and sort of taper off and adjust from there leading into the show. On Friday, before the show, usually people are traveling to a show. We were lucky enough that our last one was literally 15 minutes away, but most of the time you're driving there the day before or maybe even two days before and checking into a hotel. When you check in, you it's usually in the host hotel. You go and check in and give them your ID and show them that you are a member of whatever organization is putting this on. And then they take you to get polygraph tested. <laughs> this part makes most people nervous. I don't know why it doesn't make me nervous. Maybe I've just done it enough so that it doesn't phase me anymore. But I'm pretty sure you're just a sociopath. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Giacomo is the only person that I know who doesn't get nervous. Veterans, newbies, everyone gets nervous. So a polygraph test, they escort you into another room, usually like a meeting room in a hotel that they've sectioned off for this. And there's a person there who administers the polygraph test. And you sit in a chair and they hook you up to several different apparatuses. Apparati? apparatuses how do you say that anyway (laughs) they put like a hose around your chest that monitors your breathing they put a thing on your finger like a clip on your finger to monitor your heart rate they put a blood pressure cuff on you i think it's just those three i think it might just be those three and then they sit you down and they ask you the questions and as as much as everyone says this is kind of a terrifying process my opinion, they, they walk you through it. You do a, a mock test before you're actually asked the questions, and they say, here are the questions I'm going to ask you. And the first question is, have you read the list of banned substances? Next question is, are you in compliance? Have you taken any of the banned substances? Right. And then yeah. usually they run through specific banned substances. Um, I imagine, this is just my assumption, that if they ask you a vague question, and you lie that it's a lot less likely to catch you than if they ask you, have you taken clenbuterol? Yes or no. Have you taken Anivar? Yes or no. Um, these are steroids and other drugs that are not allowed in the competition. So they do ask you a handful of specific drugs beforehand. Right. Or, or families of drugs. like Have you taken any pro-hormones? Or testosterone. Or testosterone. Right. And then after that, there are other questions that are sort of tossed in in between to to gauge your truthfulness, probably. Yeah, and to gauge what you look like when you're nervous, which everybody's nervous in there anyway, except for Giacomo. So they (laughs) ask you questions like, are you sitting in a chair? Are we in Texas right now? Have you competed before? And this whole time, you have to stare at one spot on the wall and not move. (laughs) But the really funny thing is that every single test that I've ever taken, 
asks you at least one question that I shit you not is designed only to make you feel uncomfortable because they want to see what you look like when you're uncomfortable. Danny, have you ever done anything that you're ashamed of? That wasn't even the question. It was, are you ashamed of anything? <laughs> what? <laughs> you're saying um, it in the man's um, voice too. The, the yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of the other... Have you ever broken the law? Yes. <laughs> Have you ever betrayed a friend? Whoa. <laughs> like, this is personal shit here. Why are you asking me this? Have you cheated on your diet? <laughs> yes. How much? A lot or a little? I don't know, a little? Like, <laughs> what do you care? <laughs> but the reason is... You know, when they're asking you this question, you can feel it because you're very, or I can feel it because I'm paying very close attention to my body. You can feel your heart rate increase when they ask you a question like that. So I'm sure they can see it on their little monitor. So I'm sure when they ask you other questions, like, have you taken anything on the banned substance list? If you're nervous, they're going to see the same thing on the screen. So obviously we've always passed our lie detector tests. And I'm certain that there are people who pass it that are lying. I'm sure that people slip through the cracks all the time. However, I think it's a great screening process Mm. because just knowing that you have to go through that is nerve wracking. So you want to go in there with nothing to hide, in my personal opinion. So once you have the polygraph out of the way, what's the next thing that happens? After the polygraph, it's time to get tanned. And I would recommend, at least for your first time around, to go with the show tanner because they'll take care of it and make you look as good as possible. Whereas if you're working, if you haven't practiced, especially if you're working with your own tanning product and putting it on, you might not do the best job. Well, yeah, especially because you don't really understand how dark you have to be. And the reason for the tan, we've mentioned this on other episodes before, the stage lights are incredibly bright and they wash you out. So if you have muscle definition and you're a very pale person like I am and you step under those stage lights, you're gonna look like a smooth wet blanket, basically. So the tan really does help bring out the lines. It's just more flattering on stage. And also if you're a a Caucasian person or a light-skinned person in a competition with dark-skinned people, they have the advantage as far as the skin color goes. It's just going to look nicer under the lights. It's going to look tighter and more muscular and with more definition. So by tanning everybody to roughly the same color, it, you know, levels the playing field out. And I mean, you look insane up close, but on the stage, it does look pretty nice. So when you go to get tanned, you check in, you pay the lady, and you see these sort of like pop-up tents all through the room, and all of the walls are covered with like trash bags saran wrap type stuff their walls and floor are covered in plastic kind of reminds me of a kill scene in dexter Dexter. yeah (laughs) (laughs) like don't worry nobody will miss you but the room is full of pop-up tents like you would think that you would go camping in but they are about the floor space is about four feet by four feet and they're about seven feet tall so it's just this tall skinny tent that fits one person in it and usually one side of the room is for men and one side is for women and there's usually a very crappy paper curtain separating the two of you that they think you can't see each other but you can totally see each other and you go to your side and you strip down to nothing you strip down to nothing if you're a guy for humility we get to wear a baby sock on their junk Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> but the girls are completely naked. And there's a person with like an airbrush gun and they spray you up and down and in and out and they get every little crack and nook and cranny and everything you've got. You have to, you know, turn your feet out and turn around and bend over and they do this to you multiple, multiple times and you're in basically a line of other people doing the exact same thing. And this process of actually getting sprayed takes about a half an hour and it's cold (laughs) and it's just uncomfortable to have somebody right up in your business with a spray gun <laughs> right because even after it's done you li- you have to sit there and dry for that half an hour yeah then you stand naked in front of a fan while other people continue to come in and out and they you know do their best to make sure that no one sees anybody it- it's probably the most mortifying part of competing for the first time I would say, because you have no idea what that's like until you do it once. It's funny, though, after you've done it a couple times, though, it's really not that big of a deal. And I can hold a perfectly normal conversation with the person spraying me. And once the tan is on, I mean, you almost don't even feel like you're naked because that tan is so thick and so dark. You feel like you're wearing something. So it's very, I feel like I'm wearing something. I don't. All right, well. No. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Um, So then once you have the tan on, it's amazing how careful you have to be with it. Because if it gets wet, if you sweat on it, if you sleep on a wrinkled up sheet, if you... you Go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. Drip. (laughs) You're going to streak all over the place and it's going to be hard to fix. So what you have to do, especially if you're in a hotel, because if you get that tan on their sheets, you better believe they're going to charge you for them. So you have to bring your own dark towels. You have to bring your own bed sheets, fitted sheet, cover sheet, so that you don't get it on their stuff. You have to wrap the toilet seat in saran wrap because you'll stain it. That's always fun. Every time you sit down. If you're a girl, you have to be very careful when you pee because this has never happened to me, (laughs) but I see it at every single show. This happens to at least a dozen girls. I don't know how y'all are peeing down your leg, but apparently (laughs) this is really common um you've seen it Jacobo oh my god it happens all the time there's always a handful of girls with just a white line down the back of their leg so I've never done it but um some girls pee down their legs so (laughs) gotta be careful to not do that you cannot wear deodorant at all you can't shave or anything like that after you get this tan on so you're smelly brush your teeth but be careful Yeah, brush your teeth, wash your face. Most girls don't get their faces sprayed very much because you're going to, the next morning, put on a crap load of makeup. So the hardest thing that night is trying to fall asleep. Um, A lot of people the night before the show, this is probably a little TMI, but a lot of people will take some sort of a laxative or a smooth move tea or something like that because the last thing you want on show morning is to feel like you have to go to the bathroom and you can't. Like you feel like you have a rock in your stomach. And, you know, that's just not something that you want to hit you right before you go on stage either. So you don't want to look bloated or full in the stomach or anything like that. So a lot of people will take uh, something to help them get things moving in the morning. And I'm totally in favor of that. I think taking something like X-Lax is a bit intense, so... I don't think that one's a great idea, but something like a smooth move tea is fine. 
and being able to sleep in general. I don't know if I've ever gotten a, a normal night's sleep the day before a show. It's very hard because you're so nervous. And of course, this is the night that you really need sleep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one time in specific, I, I wound up pulling an all-nighter. And it's not that I was doing anything. I just sat there in bed trying to fall asleep and I couldn't. It was It was awful. And this is not helped by the fact that generally you have to get up very early the next morning. Sometimes you have a second tanning appointment, which I've had some as early as 4 a.m., which was crazy. But for women especially, you have to get your hair and makeup done um, if you're going to get them done by a professional, which I suggest that for the first time you compete at least that you do. You have to get up very early to get these things done. And I'll talk about the makeup a little bit because it's whack. The makeup is so intense, and I see a lot of people mess this up. One, you have to make your face match your tan. So you need a really dark foundation to do that. Um, You need to make the eyes very, very dramatic. You need fake lashes on. And basically, all of your makeup needs to be over the top, like almost like drag makeup. And in person, it does look very, very silly. But on stage... As long as it's done right, it can look very, very nice. On to add to this, trying to find all of this makeup that is vegan and or a makeup artist that is willing to do this with all vegan products and brushes. Because for you men, most makeup and brushes are not vegan. So finding them is really difficult. And ditto with the hair, actually. The hair needs to be not necessarily big, but it needs to catch attention Um, It needs to complement your physique, and you do get graded on that. As horrible as that is, and I agree that it is, you get graded on your makeup and your hair. So you want to make sure that that looks nice because it would be terrible to have a killer physique that you worked your butt off for and lose points because your makeup was bad. I mean, I sort of get it. It's, it's, It's... I don't get it because the men don't get graded on that at all. But it's a beauty pageant, so to speak. And it's I a mean, muscle pageant. Muscle beauty pageant. No, it's a muscle pageant. Okay. And yeah. it's not a beauty pageant right. because the men don't get graded on these things. That's true. At all. So <clears throat> I that's a whole nother episode, friends. <laughs> so at this point, hopefully you've managed to get a few hours of sleep and you're somewhat composed and and ready you're up super early whether you're getting makeup done or not on show day and you know you get to the venue the first thing you do the very first thing is head out to the athletes meeting and hopefully if you're at a show where it's run well the athletes meeting will be very informative and let you know what to expect most importantly i'd say are the rules and regulations of not only the organization but any stipulations that the promoters have because this does happen you know if the, the head judges want you to do and to not do certain things in regards to your presentation and posing you need to be made aware of them and i've heard so many and seen so many horror stories where they're like well you know somebody loses a placing Uh, or is robbed a title even because of something that was supposedly listed on a website and it really wasn't and they don't explain that at the show but like I said hopefully the you know the promoters in the venue have done their job and taken the time you know because they're busy too but this is show day at the athletes meeting to explain what to and what not to do what Giacomo means usually is the posing 
Um, specifically bikini, the bikini division, certain poses are not allowed at certain shows because they're too vulgar. And I completely agree how some of those poses can be very vulgar. But regardless, if they don't tell you that ahead of time, then how are you supposed to know that when you go on stage? Other things also like, you know, you can't use Pam (laughs) backstage to make yourself shiny and oily because when people use Pam backstage to oil up before they go on stage, I mean, you're spraying cooking spray all over the place. It gets very slippery. And my, the last show we went to, I saw a girl in five-inch heels slip and fall on her ass right before going on stage. You know, I haven't really heard any show say don't do that at the beginning at the athletes meeting. Have you? Yeah. Really? Yeah, Good. I've seen it in it's, the emails. Yeah. I mean, but at the meeting, they don't really remind you of that. So then if you're smart after the athletes meeting, you'll go out back with like the backstage area and you will find a place to set up your stuff. Usually girls are bringing small suitcases, like rolly suitcases of their stuff to the show. You're usually bringing a full length mirror so that you can practice your posing backstage, Um, some bands, some dumbbells so that you can pump up preferably a towel or a pillow so that you can lay down on the floor because you really want to just chill backstage for as much as you can, you know, get in the zone. You also have to bring your food for the day, which usually at this point you've already had one or two meals, which are uh, pretty, pretty simple meals. You're just trying to maintain your level of fullness and tightness at that point. I can't tell you how many people freak out at this point in the game because there are meals that you have that you should be having as you get closer and closer to stage and the timeline is never exact and things can get shuffled around and it's very easy to lose track of time as you're getting in the zone very and trying to relax and the expediter the person who is telling you when you're on and who's going on is is getting people on stage i mean the size of the class the amount of competitors uh you know any number of variables can drastically change the time that you're going to go on by as much as several hours. Yeah. I mean, you can plan ahead as though you know what time you're going to go on stage, but you don't actually. It can change so much. So you need to be adaptable. And if you have a certain meal you're supposed to eat four hours before you go on stage and you realize the show's going faster than you thought and it ends up being three, eh, so be it. You got to just keep going because that is the luck of the draw that's the way it goes my rule of thumb is it's always better to err on the side of caution and to have your meals a little bit sooner rather than a little bit later it's better to have the food in you than not and as far as your mental game to keep your head in check just remember you've already done everything you possibly can having a meal two hours too late or one hour too early is not going to make or break you on show day it's not i'm gonna disagree with you i'm gonna disagree with you wholeheartedly your show day meals are important. You better get them all in. Just because you don't get them at the exact right time, that's fine. But a couple hours difference, that's a big deal. Oh, maybe that's too wide <laughs> of a swing on the pendulum as yeah, far as the clock I goes. I would say so. But I guess what I'm trying to say is don't stress out about every single minute to the point where like, you literally can't focus on the task at hand, what you set out to do to go out there and kill that stage. So pre-judging is the morning show, and that is when they compare you to each other. So they'll usually let you know about 15 minutes before you're supposed to go out on stage that you're coming up. So you get in line numerically with your little number that's on your suit. And at that point, you have your suit glued to you. Yes, you glue your suit to 
definitely to your butt so you don't get a wedgie while you're out on stage. And a lot of women will also glue the top down so that you don't expose yourself up top. Men also do this as well. And you also get glazed, which is when they oil you up. And you can either have a partner do this or your trainer with you backstage or sometimes the tanners, the official show tanners are at the show and they'll do it for you, which is nice. Don't overdo the glaze. Then after you're glued and glazed, you should definitely pump up. And pumping up is not a full workout. You're not going to be like jumping up and down and getting really sweaty because remember, women are also in five-inch heels at this point. And you're basically just pumping up your shoulders, your back. If you're a guy, pumping up your chest is really important with like push-ups. Pumping up your legs is sort of, I see some people do it. I see some people not do it. It's totally a personal preference. And you just want to get the blood in the muscle and it also helps to get the jitters out. They lead you out on stage in numerical order. Once you're out on stage, at this point, your adrenaline is just racing and pumping. And believe it or not, you might have thought that you were going to be out there forever, but it's going to be over so fast that you're barely even going to be able to realize you were out there. You're barely going to remember it. Yeah, yeah, that too, mm-hmm. actually. You know, it's like, even if you were out there for longer than the normal... 8 to 12 minutes and you're out there for as many as 15 to 20, it's still going to feel like you're out there for 4 to 5 minutes. Most people most people are on stage for less than 5 minutes. Yeah. I would say. So you work it's kind of crazy when you think about how hard you work to be on stage for 5 minutes and it, this is when they determine the winner for each class. They have you do quarter turns, they have you do whatever mandatories you have to do, they move you around so that they can compare certain people side by side and at this point the judges who are all sitting at a long table right in front of the stage, um, they are ranking you. So usually there's a few different rounds where they spin you around and they're looking for different things. Muscular development is one of them. Symmetry, conditioning, presentation, etc. So they're ranking you and determining the winner right then and there. And then they march you off. And then you're done. And there's literally nothing more that you need to do until the evening show. And this can change so much between show to show but normally there's a pretty wide uh normally there's a pretty long break in between pre-judging and the evening show and i've never really agreed with that maybe it has something to do with being able to score everybody same day and give you your results Uh, other i've heard other uh, venues and promoters say that it helps to sell two tickets one for pre-judging and one for finals but from the spectator's side as well as the athlete's side, the the best thing to do is to try to run them concurrently or as close as you can as possible to each other. So the night show is the one that's really for the people. This is when everybody gets to do their routine and their presentation, like their stage walk if you're a figure or bikini, which is really boring. I'd way rather do a routine, but hey, it is what it is. And then that's when they announce the winners. So this show is usually... Like we said, they've already determined the winners. This is just for fun for the athletes. Some people even opt to not do their routine or their stage walk because it doesn't even count. So typically they'll have everybody do their routine. It usually starts with bodybuilders and theirs are definitely the most fun routines to watch. And then it moves through physique, bikini, figure, whichever order the show is going to go in. And then after that, they usually call top five out for each individual class. So top five are the people who generally get trophies. And then if it's a big class, like for example, when I competed this last time, I was in figure class C. 
So there were three figure classes, A, B, and C. They split us up. After they announced the winners for the classes, those winners then come out against each other for the overall title. So that's when I went out against the A and B figure winners to determine the overall, and I didn't get it. Womp womp. But that is when they, if there's a pro card given, it's given to that person who wins. So not every show is a pro qualifier, but if it is, that's how you get one. And then if, if you win and you do qualify to become a pro, they march you off the stage immediately. Like you don't leave their site. They take you off stage and they take you to the bathroom and you pee in a cup right then and there so that they can actually physically drug test you. And the reason they don't do this to every athlete that competes is because it's expensive. That's the main reason, is because it's much more expensive than the polygraph test. So the polygraph screens everybody as they come into the show, and then the overall winners get drug tested immediately. If you, if you leave the venue, you're disqualified. So you have to go back there and do it right then and there. Which I think is really probably super awkward, but... I'd be, I'd be so happy. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I'll piss for days. <laughs> you kidding me? Let me drink more water. Let's keep doing yeah, this. Yeah, they go right in there and they watch you to make sure you're not like bringing synthetic urine or something like that in there. But pretty funny. And then after that, usually you go out and celebrate. And the celebration part is really nice. I mean, hopefully you have some friends or some family there and whatnot. And it's pretty much just having a nice meal where you're not really thinking about it too much and not overeating too much, but also allowing yourself to to enjoy, you know? So the going out to eat is usually nice. This is where a lot of competitors have a super hard time reeling it in and not going overboard. A lot of people end up going overboard and this one night out turns into a one night binge, rolls over into the next morning breakfast, rolls over into that night and then by the end of it you've been eating your face off for a full weekend and you've undone at least 10 weeks of work on your body and this is a real real shame and another thing that uh, affects this as well is how many factors did you manipulate during peak week if you cut out all your water and cut out all your sodium and cut out all your carbs you know you've pushed the pendulum pretty far in one direction and then if you go flying off the handle and eating everything you want and guzzling water because you're thirsty. I've done it. Um, Your body freaks the F out. It really, really does. I've gained several pounds in a day and literally I went from having abs one day to a few days later, I could literally poke myself in the stomach and watch it ripple across to the other side of my stomach because of how much water I was holding because I was so dehydrated and then I drank so much water. And it uncomfortable wasn't even the word for it. I've seen some people go from, you know, stage lean, winning a competition even, to having ankles so swollen that they cannot put on shoes because of how much water they've begun holding. And for many people, the few days up to a week following this competition are usually the hardest. So I think it is crucial to have an exit strategy from a show. And in all honesty, it's not gonna be perfect. You're not gonna be perfect because nobody is perfect. And that's okay, but you have to keep it under control. And one thing that I find that helps a lot is to have a softer goal already set up for after the competition, maybe something like a photo shoot that you schedule 
you know, six weeks after your competition. And this is just going to give you something to set your sights on so that you still feel like you're working towards something, even if it's not as strenuous as working for a competition where you like, you have to bring it or you might as well not go at all because it ain't cheap. (laughs) Um, But something like a photo shoot, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. And that's completely up to you. But it still gives you something to work for and a reason to not completely just let go of all control. I mean, it's really great to let go of some of the control, but it's great to do it gradually. Because right now you've been controlling every factor of what you eat, drink, how much you sleep, your weight training session down to the minute, um, to the point where you're like weighing out your mustard at the end. So I think afterwards it's super important to let go of that control slowly. Maybe stop counting your stevia packets that you're putting in your coffee. Stop weighing your mustard. Eventually stop weighing your vegetables, et cetera, et cetera, until you're able to get back into a much more flexible style of eating. And hopefully you're allowing yourself some flexibility leading up to the show so that it's not all completely disciplined and regimented and having the same exact foods and the same exact things day in, day out to... Now you're allowing yourself some flexibility and you lose complete control and you fly off the handle, which happens more often than not, unfortunately. But even if you do everything right, I do think that there is a sense of sort of what now after a competition. Even if you do have the best exit strategy possible, there can still be this feeling of like floundering around like you don't know what you're doing. And that is to be expected. You have been working your ass off for the better part of a year, most likely, for this one show that probably seemed like it was some light at the end of a tunnel, and then it happens, and then it's over in the blink of an eye. And it just feels like, okay, what now? So... As long as you can anticipate that and have some, like I said, some other soft goals. They don't even have to be fitness related, just some other goals to work towards. Although I do think keeping a fitness goal or some sort of aesthetic goal in there for at least a month or two is really helpful in staying, keeping yourself from derailing on your nutrition plan. I think that can be super helpful. Right, because mentally you're transitioning to doing things differently and carrying on with your your day-to-day, not preparing for a competition. And I don't, like Danny said, I don't care what your exit strategy is. I don't care how much discipline, willpower, control you have. You're going to need to take the time to figure these things out. And that's going to take, you know, your focus needs to shift. And that can't happen overnight. I don't, you know, we're not robots. We're not machines. And you have to allow yourself to be okay with that. And however you figure it out. And also with not being robots or machines, even people with the best head on their shoulders who, even if you've done this before, there's also a sense of sadness as you start to lose that stage lean body. And even if you, I mean, I'm not talking about gaining 20 pounds. I'm talking about over the course of the week following the show, you know, your tan starts to come off. You start to get paler, Uh, you're not, your body is not quote unquote peaked anymore. So your vascularity starts to diminish a little bit. You get a little bit softer, maybe a little bit flatter. So it just seems like literally before your eyes, your body is disappearing. And this is whether it is or it isn't. 
This is what I really, really believe. Some people just completely lose it and undo the work that they've put all this, they undo all this work they've put in genuinely. But then even the people who have not undone the work and have done everything quote unquote right, you're still going to feel strangely about your body as it changes right after a show. And bodybuilding competitions breed body dysmorphia because once you see yourself a certain way once you see yourself stage lean and muscular and tanned and ripped and all this stuff you can never unsee it (laughs) you will always see that as your potential and if you're not there then it feels like you're not working to your potential you're not your best unless you're that and that is unrealistic as we all can logically know and say But that doesn't change the fact that 99.5% of people coming out of a competition are going to feel a little bit of mourning as their stage-ready body slips slowly away. Right, and and it's it can be hard to handle for any anyone, and I think more often than not that it's hard to handle for I'd say most people, and. it's totally common to fall into a like deep depression after your first competition. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's really important to remind yourself of what you've hopefully already told yourself leading into the competition that this stage presence is not what I look like. You know, this stage presence is not my body. It's not the way I maintain myself. Even if I do everything right in the, in the weeks following the show, this is to be viewed as a performance. You know, think of it that way. You're you're never going to look like that outside of that one day. Oh, no. I swear to God, people that come out to that see me every day in the gym, just like, I am so rough around the edges, guys. You don't even understand. And then they see me on stage. And people, my own stepfather didn't recognize me on stage. Uh, <laughs> and my mom had to be like, yeah, that's that's Danny. Um, because you are, you look nothing like yourself, basically. I mean, your body looks kind of like, I don't know how to explain it. It's a different person up there. But anyway, so that is, that is the ins and outs of what happens leading up to, during, and immediately after a bodybuilding competition. So moving on to our product review, this is kind of more of a product announcement, I guess, than a product review. It's not a new product for us. We've carried them for over a year and they are vegan figure competition shoes. And what figure competition shoes are is they are basically stripper heels. They're five inches high, they're clear, and they're clear so that that you don't detract any attention from your physique. Which, if we're being honest, like, what are those suits doing then? But anyway, I digress. Um, The thing is, there are no vegan stripper shoes. (laughs) They don't exist. Certainly not clear ones, because myself and many others have searched high and low and all over the globe, and they don't exist. The problem is that when you're looking for these shoes, you will see in the little description, it'll say all man-made materials. 
to me, that means the shoe is vegan, right? You know, it's synthetic materials all over. And I mean, really, it's a plastic shoe. So you wouldn't even think that it's not vegan. But once you get the shoe, if you actually look at the little markings on the bottom, it has the little marking for animal skin. And, you know, usually like what you see on a leather shoe. And it's like, huh, I wonder what that is. So then you call the company and ask them, like, why is this here? And it's, oh, because it's a pig suede sole. Well, why does it say all man-made materials? I couldn't tell you. But apparently pig suede is seen as not as good as genuine leather. So they just call it a man-made material instead of genuine leather. But every single stripper heel figure competition shoe out there is not vegan. The Ellie, the Pleasers, um, none of them. Those are the most common. Those are the most common ones, the Ellie and the pleasers and everything that falls under those names. But I've looked in many, many, many different online stores and retailers. We've called a lot of people and they're not vegan. <laughs> so in light of this, last year, Giacomo and I set out to design our own line of vegan, truly vegan figure shoes. So the ones that we carry at our store, they do seem to run a size small. So if you normally wear a size eight, get a size nine. Um, and they don't have a strap around the ankle, which a lot of people are really mad at us for. But you have to understand that to get these shoes, we had to order 100 pairs minimum. And we just don't have that kind of cash. So we decided to go with the most popular style of shoe, which is just the mule. Which means it has the strap over the top of the foot, but not one around the ankle. Which in my opinion is way better. Because if you don't want your feet to be hurting, you shouldn't be putting your shoes on until the second you step out on stage. And... With the ankle strap one, you can't do that. You have to have it on, you know, at least five minutes before you go on stage. Whereas the mule, I can just step into it and go on stage. And with practice, it's just as easy. Or <laughs> just as difficult, I should say, because it's certainly never easy. But that was just more of like a little PSA for everybody. Um, that the only vegan figure bikini shoe is at veganproteins.com as of now. Hopefully all of the complaining to all of the other companies will inspire them to create a truly vegan shoe. But in the meantime, the Ellie's and the Pleasers are not vegan. They are pig suede soles. So it's pretty horrible. So I just wanted to let you know because I know a lot of people are unaware of that. Okay, moving on to our questions. From Facebook, we have a question from Alina Zavatsky. I like that name. Hey guys, I've got a question for you, hoping to hear the answer in one of your future podcasts. What kind of supplements do you personally take on a daily basis to support your workouts? Are there any special supplements or foods that you like to take before, during, and right after your workouts? Thank you. Supplements... Probably the only time that I'm taking supplements are pre and post workout. That's when it's pretty much the most important. For my pre workout, I get in some betaine, L carnitine, citrulline malate, and a pre workout formula generally, mostly just caffeine or maybe a cup of coffee, depending on how I feel. And for post workout, I'd say the staple of this is creatine. This is literally, if there's one thing that you take and one thing only, it should be creatine. By and far, the most beneficial supplement and arguably 
one of the safest things that anyone for can a sports take. supplement you mean yeah for a sports supplement one of the safest things that you can possibly take and literally what it does is it's a cell volumizer so it's keeping more water in your muscle tissue and it's also increasing your atp production and what that means basically is that you can go longer and push harder without failing once your atp stores are completely depleted you go to failure and you cannot do another rep but when you supplement with creatine you can literally increase your uh you can literally increase your how long you can last for an exercise from anywhere from from normally 10 seconds to as many as 20 to 30. So, I mean, it really, really, it just basically helps you push harder. You still have to do the work, though. Anyhow, uh, in my post-workout, I also take some some more carnitine, and I take, I take clean BCAAs, a vegan branched-chain amino acid supplement. All right, and our next question is on Twitter. It's from Ashley Paramore, who is at Healthy Addict. I love rock climbing and dance dance revolution. I'm trying very hard to get stronger for climbing, but based on your cardio advice, I'm worried about losing muscle. Is there a way to calculate how much cardio is too much cardio based on my body mass and exercise? When I play DDR, I play about two hours at what I believe to be a relatively high intensity. Good question, Ashley. In regards to body mass, there there really it doesn't make a difference what your body mass index is, how much you weigh, cardio is moving, and it's the same across the board. You're going to burn a certain amount of energy, and that doesn't matter how big or small you are. It's it's going to be the same. It really depends, like we mentioned on the cardio episode, on your personal goals and your personal choices as far as lifestyle is concerned. If you really, truly enjoy doing two hours of a high-intensity type exercise regimen, like a combination of dance, dance, revolution, and rock climbing, what you can do is basically fill the gap with those calories that you've been missing by eating more. And that's that's pretty much what I'd say on that. I mean, I, I really wouldn't change it up too much. Obviously, if you scaled back on the cardio a little bit, you could make you could potentially make gains at a faster rate, but is it really worth sacrificing your your lifestyle and, and your personal wants and needs? I mean, you're still going to get stronger as long as you keep eating. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. If you are making progress towards your goals of getting stronger with rock climbing, then you probably don't have to worry too much about cutting back on your DDR. But if you're not really seeing progress, you have two options. Like Giacomo said, you can either cut back on the DDR, which, you know, if you love it, that would be sad to cut back on it. So the other option is to add more food. And either one of those things will help you get to your goal of getting stronger faster. Exactly. In, in the winter when I go snowboarding, I, I just eat more. I mean, I, I make a conscious choice to snowboard knowing that it may slow down my progress. But I also, on days that I snowboard, I wind up eating more and I'm happy. Alright everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. Feel free to leave us a review on iTunes if you enjoyed this episode. It really helps us get more information out there to other people interested in vegans or vegans who are a little lost in the weight room or what have you. 
and we really appreciate it. And if you have any questions in the meantime, you can feel free to reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Vegan Proteins or on Instagram, Giacomo is at Muscles by Brussels. And we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And we will talk to you in two weeks.